Hey friends, welcome to RUF. It's great to be with you guys. Uh, so if you were with us in our watch parties last week, you know we're, our series uh, this semester, we're doing, we're calling it the seven deadly sins, which is this ancient Christian way of just looking at uh, sins that are as, as typical for us as Christians or even as non-Christians to struggle with and how Jesus meets us in them, uh, how we need to be redeemed from them. And so last week we looked at pride and tonight we're going to turn our attention to the sin of greed or what the ancient Christians used to call avarice. And to do that, we're going to um, look at a passage from Mark chapter 10 where Jesus meets a, a rich young ruler who in some ways is incredibly moral. He in some ways is incredibly uh, really what society would deem a good man, but he goes to Jesus because he senses something is lacking and I think he's a picture for us of how greed works in our lives. So if you want to follow along with me, we're looking at Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. Let's dive in. <clears throat> and as he was setting out on his journey, Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, the rich young ruler said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me disheartened or grieved by the saying, he went away sorrowful or grieving, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's pray. And I want to look for a little bit tonight at the sin of greed. Let's pray first. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words to us. Lord, we know that you are the author of life, and yet we as a sinful and broken people look for life almost anywhere else than in you. Lord, would you meet us tonight and would you expose in us how greed has shaped and formed our hearts? And would you invite us to repent and believe the gospel that more is not enough, but that you are enough for us, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. 
So part of how we're going to uh, do this going forward is we're using, uh, my wife is a huge Taylor Swift fan, and it's been the best thing that's musically ever happened to my marriage is Taylor Swift's latest album, Folklore, because it's like her saddest album. <laughs> so my wife loves her, all of her stuff. She can't do any wrong in my wife's eyes. But Folklore, I think, is an album that gripped me because of its sadness, because of its darkness. And I want to look, kind of use some of these songs from that album to, to highlight the sins we're talking about. And tonight we're talking about greed. And the lyrics from uh, the track on Folklore, The Last Great American Dynasty, stood out to me. Here's what Taylor Swift says. She's talking about this rich woman who owned a house she bought in, in Rhode Island. And she says this, the wedding was charming, if a little gosh. There's only so far new money goes. They picked out a home and called it Holiday House. Their parties were tasteful, if a little loud. The doctor had told him to settle down. It must have been her fault his heart gave out. And I think that whole song is dealing with how money and houses and amazing possessions and riches will not satisfy us. You know, it's funny. So in my, in my 14 years, going on 15 years of campus ministry, I've had students meet with me wanting to talk about so many things, especially when you put it in the light of the seven deadly sins. Uh, they've wanted to talk to me about lust and how to stop looking at porn or how to stop going too far with their boyfriend or girlfriend. They've wanted to talk to me about pride, how they're finally starting to be disgusted and disappointed in their own self-righteousness. Uh, they've talked to me about gluttony, how they're being controlled by food or can't seem to feel okay in their own bodies. They've wanted to talk to me about anger, anger toward one of their parents, anger toward roommates, anger or bitterness toward friends. But in 14 plus years, not once, has a student ever wanted to meet with me because they were concerned about greed in their lives? And the way that I want to define greed tonight is greed is the constant lust or the constant desire for more, more power, more things, more money, more status. Just simply put, more. That if I just have more of this one thing, then then finally I will be satisfied. Never once have I had a student want to talk to me about that, and yet Jesus seemed to constantly talk about the dangers and the temptations of money and power and more. He challenges this rich young ruler to sell all he has and come and follow him, and that young morally and financially successful man goes away grieved. Jesus, when you think about him in the temple, when he turns over the tables of the money changers because they were more focused on buying and selling of goods than they were on the souls of the people who were there with them. Jesus told us that we shouldn't store up for ourselves treasures on earth that can be damaged and destroyed or stolen, but to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, which means a life full of being rich toward God and generous toward others. Jesus, again, he tells the church in Revelation who was rich and prosperous and self-satisfied that they needed to come in touch with how actually poor and wretched and pitiable they really were. Jesus, again, he tells us through his servant Paul that the love of money, the love of more, is a root of all kinds of evils. And I think evils that we can so clearly see in our world today were unspeakable evil like sex trafficking or blatantly taking advantage of the poor are silenced or defended all in the name of preserving or making more money or keeping or making more success and power. 
But what it means to grow as a Christian is it means that we're growing to care about the things that Jesus deeply cares about. And greed is certainly a big one. And the question for us is, for those of us who live in America, which is us, which is just historically one of the richest, most prosperous cultures the world has ever known, the question for you and me is, are we ready to listen? It seems to me the two things that as Americans we don't like to talk about, even as Christians, are money and sex. And yet Jesus seems to, and the Bible seems to, constantly warn us of their dangers and temptations. So the way I want to do it is thinking about just three things. First, I want to think about the power of greed, how it works in us. Second, I want to think about the lie of greed, why we're so susceptible to its power. And then lastly, I want to talk about the healing of greed. And let's just jump right in. First, think with me just for a second about the power of greed and how we see it in our world and in ourselves. And I want to do it, we could go a lot of ways, but I want to do it just in three little categories. The first is what I just want to call consumerism. I don't know about you, but don't you find it weird that major brands have felt suddenly the need to be our comforters? Like I got an email from J. Crew in the pandemic assuring me that we're going to make it together through COVID. <laughs> it's like, what? I got one from Taco Bell as well, which is another story. Um, but do I really need from J. Crew the only place I know to buy clothes as a 40-year-old man to be my source of comfort and inspiration? I think about uh, my dad had a neighbor who suddenly passed away. My dad lives in Stone Mountain, Georgia. And the problem with um, my dad's neighbor who passed away is he, as I went with my dad, my dad was pretty close friends with him. And my dad took me into his house after he passed because he had left a lot of his stuff to my dad. But he was a severe hoarder. And I'd never walked into the house of someone who was a true hoarder. And when I walked into that house, I'll never forget it because there were just boxes upon boxes of just all kinds of random things, little trinkets and toys, electronic devices galore, so many, so many bottles of wine that had spoiled because he hadn't stored them properly. His house would just was full of so much stuff. And you got the sense that he surrounded himself with stuff as if it could be a blanket of security, as if it could be enough to protect him in this life. And the reality was he had stored up all these treasures on earth, and it was tragic to see not just how many treasures he had hoarded for himself, but then when it came to the will and his children, his children all hated this man because they had a broken relationship, and yet they descended like vultures in this house trying to take his stuff. And it was a picture for me of how greed... Not only does it control and overpower us, but it destroys, has the power to destroy love and relationship, even with our children. Greed has the power to break every good relationship in our lives because we begin to care more about things, therefore begin to treat people like things, instead of simply loving and being loved in wealth or in poverty. Money might change our circumstances, but it surely can't change our heart. And in fact, it seems to be that Jesus is showing this rich young ruler that money is controlling his heart, therefore destroying his ability to truly love God and truly love his neighbor. So consumerism. But then second, think with me about the power of greed. Think about inequality. We're in this moment where the wealth gap continues to grow in our country. The rich keep getting richer and the poor keep struggling to keep up with just basic necessities. 
Just in this pandemic, American billionaires, studies show American billionaires grew their net worth by $434 billion so far in this pandemic, while more at the same time, more than 38 million Americans filed for unemployment and are struggling just to get by and feed their children. This was, I don't know if you saw the Oscar-winning film Parasite from last year, but in some ways, this was exactly what Parasite was about, this, this, this wealth gap between the rich and the poor. And it showed in this really powerful way the careless ease of the rich in which they don't even consider what it's like to be poor. And at the same time in that film, it showed the desperate plight of this poor family just trying to make enough to get by. It reminded me of God's own words to his people in Ezekiel where he said to his people, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. So there's consumerism, there's inequality, and let's talk lastly in this thinking about the power of greed, let's talk about waste. How wasteful you and I can be in our wealth. Uh, According to the most recent study, as Americans, we throw away more than 80 billion pounds of edible food, good food, a year, which equals about 161 billion in good food. And yet we seem deeply unconcerned and detached from the global realities of hunger all around us, not to mention the food deserts that exist in our communities where poor families struggle to put together three solid meals a day. Uh, a couple years ago, because of this, we had some students who would, who would dumpster dive. They would go to Publix, they would go to Trader Joe's, they would go to Krispy Kreme, which apparently throws away you know, boxes upon boxes of good donuts. I never went with them because diving into a dumpster seemed a little gross to me. But it was a picture for me of just the, wasteful, the wastefulness that you and I just simply accept with no thoughts or cares given to those who go to sleep hungry. And that's the first thing I want you to notice about this rich young ruler passage is that this rich young ruler is a deeply moral man, but Jesus says he lacks one thing. He is numb to what his wealth is doing to him. His wealth is still more powerful to him than either his need for Jesus or his love for the poor and needy. And make no mistake, the love that wealth always desensitizes us to is the need of others, whereas the love of Jesus always awakens us to the needs all around us and how we might meet them. So first, the the power of greed, but then second, think with me, why are we so susceptible to this power? And that's what I want to call the lie of greed. And the lie of greed is simply this, that if we have more, we will be happy And we will be enough and feel like enough. In other words, it's the opposite of Jesus's words to us. Take care, where he says in the gospel, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. But the lie of greed says the opposite. It says that life does consist in the abundance of possessions. In other words, the lie of greed says that if we could only have a little more then we will feel alive, and then we would be living. Uh, years ago, when Jane Mack, our oldest, was a baby, we had taken a little beach trip with my family to Pauly's Island. And on the last day, as we were leaving, we had packed up our little minivan. We were driving out, 
And it was one of those scenes we're driving out and we look over to the right and there's this family who mirrors the age and stage of our family and they are moving into this beautiful beach house on Polly's Island. And it was one of those moments where Alyssa and I both looked at ourselves and just kind of, on, on the one hand said, you know, must be nice. But on the other hand said, this will never be us. You know, my wife, she wouldn't, I don't think, mind me saying this. You know, my wife was voted in high school the most likely to marry rich. And then in God's providence, she married a pastor who, if you know anything about pastors, were not exactly rich. And it was a moment, I'll never forget watching that family move in and kind of processing in a moment of, you know, quiet with my wife and just thinking, this is never going to be us. We will never own a beach house anywhere. I mean, not even the, you know, not even, you know, think of your least favorite beach, not even there. And yet at the same time, it was a moment for me and my wife to check our hearts because the question is, if that's true, and it is, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough or do we need something more? Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with owning a beach house. I'm super thankful for people who do because otherwise the Rhodes family would never get to go to the beach. But the challenge of Jesus toward the lie of greed isn't that being wealthy is a sin or and isn't that owning expensive things is a sin and it isn't that making a whole bunch of money is a sin. The problem with greed is that Jesus is warning us that it's extremely easy for us to be owned by what we own, to be consumed by what we consume, and to be made by the money that we make. Uh, we've recently been binging. If you know me at all, you know that we're big binge TV people. And so we've been binging Selling Sunset on Netflix, which if you know that show at all, it's just these rich, beautiful women in, on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles who sell these amazing houses. And it's fascinating and amazing on multiple levels to me. But if you haven't seen it, there's this storyline in the first season where they're selling like 40 million, this $40 million house and all these women, they're, they're incredibly attractive, incredibly successful. And you're watching them, watching them sell these gorgeous houses to millionaires and billionaires. And this one house, again, it's $40 million. It's like 10 bedrooms and bathrooms, 20,000 square feet, staged with like six of the most expensive cars on earth and a massive infinity pool to boot. And it looks amazing. Who wouldn't want to live there? But what you, what you quickly realize if you watch that show is the darkness and sadness of these women who are selling these homes because they're selling the lie of greed. They're selling the lie that says, if I could just afford this lifestyle, then I will be okay. Then I will be happy. But then you watch these women who are amazing in so many ways, and yet they're so petty and jealous and driven by greed and driven by dark things. Why? Because they've believed the lie of more. That if I could just sell more houses, then I will be okay. Or if I could just be with this kind of millionaire or billionaire, then I will be okay. But the reality is more is never enough. More is never enough. And what Jesus is inviting the rich young ruler to see is that his possessions and his wealth, his more will never be enough. And that the only true enough is being loved and known and cared for by Jesus. In other words, the only joy and the only real security and the only thing that lasts forever isn't more but it is the enoughness of Jesus for us. 
And I think the question for you and for me tonight is, what is your more? And do you see that it will never be enough? Do you see the way that your more has failed you? It has not brought security. It's brought more insecurity. It's not brought more happiness. It's brought more unhappiness. And do you see that only Jesus and his love and care and enoughness for you will ever alone be enough? So what's the answer for how we heal from greed? The last thing I want you to see is the healing of greed. So if the power of greed is that we are numb or naive to how our pursuit of wealth and power and success and more is robbing us of both our own happiness as well as the flourishing of our neighbor's And if we see that the lie of greed is that if we just have more and more of that thing we think will make us happy, more of whatever we feel like will make us somebody, then we will be happy. But it's a lie because it makes makes me think of what Don Draper says in Mad Men where he says, what is happiness? Happiness is the moment before you need more happiness. And it's never enough. So how do we begin to heal? How do we begin to repent, to see our greed and repent of our greed as a deadly evil? And the beauty of the rich young ruler, I think, is that he's speaking to someone who is the ultimate rich ruler, Jesus, the one who is speaking to him. Uh, It's interesting when you think about them together, they both have a concern apparently for loving God and for loving the poor, but there is one major difference between them. The rich young ruler is looking for ways to be good, yet hold on to his more, hold on to his wealth, while Jesus has already left behind his riches in heaven to become poor, literally poor. Jesus said, foxes and birds have holes and nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus is literally living among the poor as the poor. Why? That you and I might become rich. Not rich financially, but rich in a way that is far better than money, rich in what it means to be known and loved by God and to know and love God. The way that Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 8 is like this. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Uh, We sing it like this in RUF. We sing it like this. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. It's not that Jesus is a radical socialist or a disciplined capitalist. It's that Jesus valued something more than wealth. What did he value? The salvation and healing and flourishing and restoration of sinners like you and me. It's not that Jesus never enjoyed the good and finer things of life. He he certainly did. He cooked an amazing breakfast for his friends on the beach. He so often ate and drank with people that he was accused by the Pharisees of being a drunkard and a glutton. But he enjoyed the good things of life with deep joy while never losing sight of the people he was with, their needs, their struggles, their situations, their poverty, and their suffering. There was something far more important to Jesus than having more. And it's being enough for you and for me. Close with this. 
There's a recent, I don't know if you follow the news, but there was a recent, about three weeks ago, a recent discovery of mummies in Egypt. And it reminded me when I was younger, there was that discovery that went on display uh, like around the museums of the country of King Tut, one of the richest pharaohs of Egypt of all time. And there's this writer, Henry Fairley, who wrote a book on the seven deadly sins. And he says this, it's a fascinating insight to me. I want to close with this. He says this, thinking about visiting one of those exhibits where King Tut and all of his gold and riches were on full display in an exhibit in a museum. And he says it like this. He said, those who have seen the exhibition of King Tut's treasures must in the end find something ghastly in it. We think of the body of the king sealed with his riches for all those centuries in a dark and airless chamber. When it is opened, his body was decomposed, but the gold and the alabaster have kept their substance and form and glitter brightly as ever. What is absent from them is the king himself. They tell us of his majesty, in other words, of his status, but they tell us nothing of the man. They are relics of a civilization in which, under the sway of its cosmology and beliefs, the king was depersonalized and dehumanized as his subjects. We look back at the treasures. With all their brilliance and art, they are decadent and meaningless. We think again of the king among his treasures, an object only buried among other objects. It was they that survived. Perhaps we've gone to the exhibition in such large numbers because we are looking at something we can understand, at the contents of a tomb from which, when the stone was rolled away, it was the objects and not the man that rose again, in which the man had become the most lifeless of all the objects. If we look straightforwardly at our societies now, how can we deny that this is an image of us. And it's a beautiful contrast with the tomb of Jesus. The tomb is rolled away and he's not there. He's risen and there's nothing in that tomb but the linen cloths he was buried in that have fallen from him because he is raised from the dead for the salvation of sinners like you and me, that we might know that we might be raised from death in our sin to life in him. And the question when you think about the tomb of Jesus versus the tomb of King Tut and the tomb of Jesus, where are the riches? Where is all the gold and the alabaster? It's not in that tomb. For him, the treasure is you and me. That we might be reclaimed from our greed to know life and life to the fullest in him And we might be reclaimed from our pursuit of more to find him to be more than enough for us. And for us, when we think, where is the treasure? He is the treasure. He is the gold. He is our riches. He is the only one that can truly satisfy. And no amount of more will ever be enough. But the good news is that he is more than enough for us forever. Let's pray together. Our Lord, would you show us how it is that we are chasing more? And Lord, would you show us the emptiness of it, the insecurity of it, the death of it? And would you invite us tonight to see how enough you are for us, that you are more than enough as our risen Savior who loves us and knows us and cares for us and who became, though rich, became poor, that we might become rich toward God rich eternally, 
rich in everything that matters. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen.